1: As a farmer's wife, I'm so proud to be sponsored by FarmDrop, the ethical grocer that delivers the farmer's market to your door. Cut out the supermarket with FarmDrop, who deliver food direct from over 250 local farmers, makers, and bakers. Just like a supermarket, you choose a delivery slot and exactly the items you need. But unlike a supermarket, they source as locally as possible and pay producers properly. If you're in London, Bristol, or Bath, visit farmdrop.com. It's a great way to shop, particularly in the build-up to Christmas. Quote the code BACKSTORY to get £25 off your first £50 order and to show your support for this podcast. Hello and welcome to The Backstory. I'm Claire Mutimer and this is episode 8 birth sweat and trauma. Today we're hearing from Lottie, a new mum with her seven-month-old daughter Daisy. Lottie feels traumatised by the experiences she had in the course of having her daughter. Her case is unique but then I suppose all cases of trauma are unique in their own way. Heads up, there are a few F-bombs and other swear words in this one as well as blood and poo and trauma. Pretty understandable given the subject but we just wanted to let you know. alarm went
2: off and I looked at my key and just went that poor woman someone's having a really awful time and then about 20 people rushed into the room and I was like oh shit it's for me
3: I started out thinking that this episode was going to be about birth trauma and in a way it is birth trauma was something that I was relatively unaware of which having had three kids is pretty surprising I read an article, as you do, and I wanted to find out more. So I spoke to lots of women who'd experienced birth trauma. And I found out that the causes of trauma are varied. It's not necessarily just about what you go through. It's how you experience what you go through. Some births are so difficult that most people would be traumatised by what happens. But in other cases, it might not be so much about what happens physically Women might be traumatised by feeling a loss of control, a loss of dignity, maybe feeling that they weren't consulted or listened to, or even feeling that those around them were in some way hostile or unsupportive. Okay, so I'm just on my way to meet Lottie. Hi. Hi! Nice to meet you. And you. Okay, Lottie, can you tell me a little bit about the build-up to Daisy's birth? Yeah, so I had a couple of
2: miscarriages, um, and I I got pregnant with her immediately after having a miscarriage, so I didn't really know and was on holiday and just didn't feel like drinking anymore, which was unusual for me. I was anxious the whole time, but she was absolutely fine, and I went into labour two days before her due dates. My waters broke when I was in bed, um like in a film which I wasn't expecting (laughs) Um, but we went straight up there and they said you're less than one centimetre dilated go back home and then half an hour later we turned around and went back (laughs) because I couldn't cope and they said again you're now one centimetre dilated you're gonna have to you can't basically we can't take up the beds so you need to go and have a walk around or go home so we decided to go home because we didn't live that far from the hospital Um, and I got in the car and I was hanging out of the window, like trying to rip the roof off. I was in so much pain. Got home, tried all sorts of things, but it was just it lasted four hours, I think, at home. And I was in absolute agony and was behaving like some kind of crazy banshee. Um, I don't know who I was. I was like having having baths and like ripping and throwing tables on the floor and grabbing ice lollies from the freezer and just the whole house was absolute carnage. And after about four hours, Mikey was like, I can't cope with this. This this feels quite bad let's go back to the hospital and I got there and was six centimeters dilated got straight on the gas and air and they said oh you've done so well you've done you've got so far at home would you like a water birth it'll be over in a couple of hours probably I was a bit high on the gas and air pipe and said yes even though that was absolutely not what I wanted really I don't know why I said yes
3: had you had a sense of the sort of birth you wanted? I've always considered it to be quite a medical thing. So I
2: wanted the hospital bed, all of the drugs that were available to me. I just thought that that was my plan. It's just basically someone else is going to get the baby out and I'm just going to lie there and be in, be in a bit of pain. So we tried the water. I don't really know why. I think I thought, oh, I'll be a hero. You know, it'll be out in a couple of hours and I will have done it naturally and then I'll be great. And it just didn't really work out like that. Everything slowed down from there. So I spent about, I think, I think about four hours in the pool. And I bit the midwives because I was in a lot of pain. I remember I bit one on the boob and we felt awful about it. Um, eventually made them get, I said About I think after about four hours, I was like, get, get me out of here. I need an epidural. I need it now. So they got me out of the pool. I wouldn't let them examine me. I had an epidural. It was the best thing that has, I think, ever happened in my entire life. I had a sandwich. Mikey went and moved the car. We just did some, like life admin stuff, chatted to all the midwives and I apologise for biting all of them.
3: Lottie and Mikey were both pretty relaxed. After a shaky start, things seemed to be going well. But then an obstetrician came into the room.
2: Listen, we can't find the baby's heartbeat. She she needs to come out right now. Garbled loads of information at me that I didn't really take in about we might give you a general anesthetic, we might do a caesarean. Left Mikey in the room, they whisked me into theatre. I think we signed something um, can't really remember, got into theatre, they put the monitors on and went, oh, there she is, she's just moved down the birth canal. And I wish, I wish at that point I'd said, hang on then, stop, what are you doing? But I didn't. And they let Mikey come in because everything was fine. And they said, we're going to give you 10 minutes to try and push the baby out. Um, we're going to the you so you'll feel nothing from nipple to toe. And then they said, if that doesn't work, we're going to give you general anaesthetic and someone's going to stand and hold your throat like this. And I remember thinking, not all my life is that happening. So I will get this baby out. And I couldn't feel anything. So I was pushing and then looking around to all of these doctors and going, am I doing it? Am I doing it? Am I having a poo? Is there a baby coming? What's happening? And then Mikey had a look and they had, they said she'd somehow she'd turned. So they said, we're going to help you and they had a Vontouse to turn her and then dragged her out with forceps and Mikey said that he thought her head was going to come off. Like, it was so violent. There's no skin-to-skin. Skin. There was no, like, nice after-birth experience. I whisked her off. I thought she was going to die. I don't really know why. So they sent Mikey into a different room with Daisy. They just gave her gave to him and they were like, we need to work on, work on your partner in a little room on his own with a baby going, what the fuck, how, how am I going to do this on my own?
3: Lottie needed to have a balloon inserted into her womb to stop the bleeding. Already dazed and confused, suddenly the 10 people in the room doubled to 20.
2: They handed over. So when he was... They had an ultrasound machine on me, and when he handed over to another doctor to put this balloon in, and then he went away.
3: It turned out to be a handover between the medical teams. But for Lottie, it made a scary situation even worse. Once the procedure was completed she was admitted to a high-dependency ward where she could be closely monitored.
2: And I was strapped up. like My legs had these compression pads on. My arms were, like, with drips and God knows what else. And I was, like, hooked up to loads of different things. I was knackered and really, really thirsty. And then they gave... Mikey came in with Daisy and, obviously, the relief on his face. And I thought, oh, everything's probably fine now. And then... They gave it to me, but I couldn't really do anything with her because I was so, like, attached to all these different things. And I just thought, like, I can't do anything. And they said, she started crying, and the midwife went, oh, she's hungry, so she needs to be fed. Do you want to try? And I was like, I'm high as a kite. Like, no, I can't think of anything worse. Again, another thing that I really regret, because they gave her a formula. I wish that the midwife had said, maybe it's just comfort that she needs so maybe we can help you and we, you know, we can lie her on you and she can just like suck at your nipple for a minute because if I'd had help then that would have happened and then maybe I would have been able to breastfeed because I couldn't Um, sorry I'm getting a bit upset
3: it's alright right. there was there were a lot of things happening yeah. and a lot of almost decisions being made that because of the drugs you'd been given, yeah. you were off your face and you weren't really in the best frame of mind no. to be able to make those decisions. Lottie and Daisy were in hospital for five days. Daisy had jaundice, so she had a little light pack on her, which meant that both mother and baby were hooked up to various devices. Both of us were all just
2: like, like connected to other things and not each other. It was really odd.
3: Eventually, after five days in hospital... They went home.
2: I think I asked for a scan because, and when I'd had a miscarriage, they'd. It was a missed miscarriage, and they had to go in and remove it. Do the I can't remember what they call it, like
3: the, do the like the vacuum the, yes.
2: thing. So they did that, and they had to do it twice because they didn't get it out. And I something in my head was like, "Can you just check that everything's all right?" And they said, "Oh, it's not routine." I was bleeding for weeks. I was really, like, I was the first couple of weeks of her life where I was really miserable. I just found it really hard and really emotional and had that, like, oh my god, what have I done? I was upset and anxious all the time. If she, when she woke up in the middle of the night, I'd be pissed off about it. Not like, oh, I just want to nurture my baby. It's quite a lot and I felt like crap all the time. Like, I was drained. I couldn't sit down properly. I was bleeding. Kept going back to the doctors to say, I'm bleeding. And they were like, it's just Lokia, It's fine. You know, you won't, it'll probably, it'll stop. And eventually the doctor said, I'm going to send you for a scan, but not urgently. And then I thought, I felt really relieved. So I took her out for lunch with some friends and then thought that I felt better. It was like the best I'd felt ever, like in the whole time that she'd been born. I felt like I'm independent. I've got on a tube with her. I've done all these things. I'm going to ace this now. It's going to be fine.
3: But just as Lottie started to feel better, things took an unexpected turn.
2: Then got up at two in the morning to feed her, and heard a pop, a bit like my waters breaking, and thought I've wet myself. That's weird. So I put her down in her sleepy head. I managed to do it quite calmly. Ran off to the toilet and thought this is weird. Like were, I could I could feel so much coming out, and I turned the light on and looked behind me, and it was blood, and it was everywhere. It was all over my sofa, all over the floor, all over the walls where I touched to feel my way to the bathroom and I screamed for
3: Mikey. Lottie called for an ambulance. She sounded pretty calm and initially they didn't seem to take it seriously because she was so calm. But as she became more and more panicked, they escalated it and eventually the paramedics turned up. By the time they came, Lottie was lying on the floor.
2: And I was just like, this is it. I'm going to die. Like, nothing is ever going to stop this bleeding. I'm
3: going to be dead soon. It must have been... I mean, you say you were really calm, but how were you actually feeling? Were you just coming across as calm? How were you feeling inside? When, I think it was when I actually... I felt
2: weirdly numb, maybe, but it was when I could see it pouring out the bottom of my leggings, and I thought, this isn't stopping. It's not, and I wasn't in any pain. Nothing hurt. But I was just. I could just see this unreal amounts of blood and then I thought I'm gonna die. And I thought, whatever I do I can't let Mikey know that I'm gonna die. (laughs) So I thought I'd be really I'd be really calm, but I was
3: absolutely shitting myself. Lottie was scanned and it was discovered that she had retained some of the placenta. The very thing she'd previously been concerned about. Like loads of it. How did they figure that out? Did they scan you? Yeah, so I was
2: in, they put me in the resus area, so I thought I was dying. Um, and then they had a gynae doctor come and they scanned me and said, there's loads of it, it needs to come out. So they kept me in. And it wasn't until like three days later they did the operation. And then so did, they did the suction vacuum thing again. Um, and then the next day they discharged me. I asked for a scan, didn't get one, it's not routine. And I said, you need to you know, you've left placenta and I need to be scanned because I need to know um, that it's all gone. They said, we'll set up a follow-up for like in a
3: couple of months' time. While she'd been in hospital, Mikey had moved them into their new home. So you had a newborn baby yeah. and there had been these repeated scares in terms of whether you were going to make it. Yeah. Mikey was looking after the baby, moving house.
2: I don't know how we did it. I don't think he knows how he did it. I think it was just like, head down, get it done.
3: Mikey didn't want to talk for this podcast. And I get that. But think about what he was up against. His partner had already had a very difficult birth in which he thought he might lose her. He'd had to handle a new baby in the early days when Lottie was feeling out of it. He woke up to walls, floors and a partner covered in blood. Had to cope with the baby again when Lottie went back into hospital and then, on top of it all, moving house. Oh, and Mikey's also a freelance worker, so you can forget about things like paid paternity leave. Hats off to this man. Lottie went to Manchester to see her mum and to give Mikey some time to catch up. But while she was there, she started to get flu-like symptoms. But I just had this, I need to go back to London,
2: I've got to go home. So I lied about how well I felt to my mum took Daisy, got on the train home Mikey had to get on the train at Euston to like carry us off A screaming and howling with his pain in my legs I can't even describe it like I wanted it was like my bones were growing like all oh, trying to get out it was so weird it was like that all night I got to pull like I can't wait anymore so Mikey drove me to the urgent care place and I like hung myself off the desk and I was like I need to see someone and this doctor came past and said hey, he's an off-duty doctor and I walked, he was like, is anyone going to help this girl who's sitting on the floor? I uh, put me in a bed, tilted it backwards so my head was down and my legs were up. My temperature was astronomical. Um, and then Mikey said that he'd overheard someone say, that girl's got sepsis.
3: Lottie was admitted and treated for sepsis. But within about 12 hours, she started to experience a whole new set of symptoms.
2: And then the next thing I know, I have... Iller than I've ever been in my entire life. I'm, I know it's disgusting, but l- literally it will not stop pooing. And they're like, you've got C. diff,
3: it's really bad. C. diff, colostridium difficile, a bacterium infection that affects the bowel. And I'd got it because in order to
2: cure or to treat the sepsis, they'd had to give me every antibiotic.
0: For Memorial Day, get 15% off your borough purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at borough.com slash ACAST.
2: Under the sun because I didn't have time to figure out where the infection was because I would have died. They put me in an isolation room. Apparently they said to Mikey, it's really bad. You know, she might die.
3: Okay, let's recap. Difficult birth new baby, retained placenta, lots of blood, repeated hospitalisation, house move, sepsis, C. diff. So the sepsis was sorted out by this stage, but because of the antibiotics, you've got, is it colostrum difficile or something? Something like that. And the the symptoms, not to put too fine a point on it, you were... You couldn't stop shitting yourself? Basically, okay.
2: I was in this isolation and they said, basically, like, I'm highly contagious. No-one could really come and visit me apart from Mikey would come. And everyone had to wear gloves and an apron and, like, try not to touch me. And I wore nappies and other people wiped my bum, like, 80 times a day. It was awful. Um, And obviously I couldn't see
3: Daisy. This must have been so hard not being able to see her daughter. Grandparents, friends and family helped out so that Mikey was able to visit. But Lottie was pretty out of it.
2: The first few days, I don't think I had any sense of what was going on. Um, I was on about seven different antibiotics and painkillers.
3: Lottie was in hospital for 12 days. It feels like it was about 12 months. 12 days is a long time.
2: Every week was a milestone, you know, when they're tiny, and it's like, she's six weeks, she's seven weeks, oh my God, and I missed it.
3: Eventually, she came home. How did it feel when you got home?
2: I wasn't really prepared so I was still really really ill and I think there's an expectation you know when you come out of hospital that you're better and I was not better I was still taking antibiotics I'd also because I'd been lying down for so long I'd put on three stone in retained fluid I was wearing nappies Um, Mikey had to go and buy me like tenor lady pants which was romantic, <laughs> um, and I couldn't really do anything. I could hold her for a couple of minutes, and then I have to give her to someone else to look after. Is she going to disturb that?
3: Well, I'm more. I'm just more concerned. I don't want you. I don't want Daisy to be upset. Do you want to bring oh, like her to in her. for a while and I, see? Yeah, is that all right? Yeah, let's see how she is when she's in here with us. Hey Bonnie. Oh, pardon you. Oh, is that partly <laughs> Forgive me? I now. go into full on clucky I'm mode. She's gorgeous and she's very relaxed with her mum around. So she settles lovely. really easily once Lottie picks her up. That bond is evident. Oh, <laughs> that's good. Is Are it, you all right? Is it Sleepy Bies time? Um I was still
2: in nappies and still couldn't stop shitting myself um, and having awful stomach cramps, feeling just horrendous and massive and really uncomfortable and exhausted. Um, so after the excitement of seeing her again wore off, like after being home for about an hour, I just felt horrendous. Even though I was getting better, I just felt so unbelievably terrified that I was going to get it again and that this time it would kill me. I had this kind of you know, all these things happened and I nearly died so many times. Like, they just,
3: someone's just not got to finish the job. So, your anxiety was around the C. difficile coming, coming back and, and kind of taking hold, but also around Daisy potentially catching it.
2: That, I had that fear as well as the fear that I would have sepsis again. Um, is that, does that fear? of either I'm going to die of C. diff or I'm going to die of sepsis, but I'm definitely going to die.
3: The type of trauma associated with birth trauma is post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Symptoms can include flashbacks, intrusive memories, anxiety, anger, irritability, and hypervigilance, in which a person feels on their guard at all times. Do you know whether Mikey has flashbacks?
2: No, I don't know. Um... We don't really talk about it as much, I mean we don't really talk about it as much from his point of view, um which I think is a bit shit of me, probably, but it's I'm quite selfish about it. I think it's i I talk about it all the time, and he probably doesn't want to hear about it. He probably just wants to move on,
3: but I just wonder whether actually you're not you're not you need to talk about how you feel first, you know you're not in a position to feel able to support anybody else around this it's not saying that he doesn't need the support as well but maybe at the moment you're still working through everything that you need to work through
2: i had a couple of therapy appointments for ptsd but it was just not
3: not helpful at all what type of practitioner were they with
2: i don't actually know i was told that i would just see a trauma counselor and like i've had cbt in the past and i found that really helpful because it's like you go in with a problem and you think about what the worst-case scenario is, and then you figure out, like, you can sort of break it down into manageable chunks and deal with your problem that way.
3: Apologies if you know this. CBT is cognitive behavioural therapy.
2: But then when the worst-case scenario is that you
3: die, like, that's just way too big for me to deal with. It sounds, from what you're saying, as though, like, the big thing at the centre of this... And I'm sorry if this... I, I know that this must be really upsetting, but what's coming from what you're saying is the big thing at the centre of this is that you, you really thought you were going to die. After a few weeks of being at home, Lottie was still extremely anxious about getting through the day with Daisy.
2: I went to the GP and said, I, I couldn't talk about anything without crying. Like every time I spoke to anyone, I would just break down, especially like a medical professional. How are you? Tears, floods of them. She said, I think it would be really helpful for you if you had a birth debrief and you went back to the hospital and they would talk through why all these decisions were made so you'd understand a little bit more about what happened and that might make you feel able to process it a bit more.
3: I know that a debrief can be really important for some women. An opportunity to meet with members of the medical team to gain a clearer picture of what happened, why certain decisions were made And to ask any questions. So I
2: thought that would be great. I was doing something proactive to fix it rather than just wallowing in the fear. And I just wanted, I I wanted to be better for Daisy. I wanted, you know, we'd been through, and for Mikey as well. Like he'd had such a shit time and, you know, we were, it was supposed to be this magical, you know, it's our first baby and we're really in love and we're really happy and it should have been just this magical time and it's just been the worst and I was making it longer and I think we both had this expectation that I'd be physically better and I'd be better.
3: You had a debrief. Has that... Oh, you, you were going to have a debrief, but what happened?
2: So this was actually a bit of a turning point for me. I was going to have a debrief and it was booked in. I went along anyway, but I didn't take Mikey. I left him at home with Daisy um, and just thought, I'll just come and see what it's about. And I sat in the waiting room for an hour and a half on a Monday morning and... This woman that I have never met before comes out and says, I'm sorry to keep you waiting. We couldn't find your notes. I'm just going to read over your notes and then we'll come in for a chat. And half an hour after that, still no sign of her. And I just thought, what the fuck am I doing? Something snapped in my head. I can't keep looking backwards.
3: Lottie chose not to wait and she walked out. So I never erased another the debrief. Does that feel like a positive step or does that feel like a screw you kind of step
2: when I at first it felt like a really positive step but the reason that I wanted to have a birth, like one of the reasons I wanted to have a birth debrief and I wanted someone to be accountable for what happened and the mistakes that were made I wanted to do that so that other women might not have that experience and I know a lot of the stuff like the C-diff couldn't really be helped But the sepsis could have, the retained placenta could have. And I want someone to say, Yeah, we fucked up. I'm sorry. But they wouldn't do that in a birth debrief because they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't, they'd be opening themselves up to lawsuits and stuff. When When I raised it, when I was in the hospital, I asked questions quite a few times, like, Why did you, why did this happen? Why did I have retained placenta? Why did I need a balloon in my womb? Why did I get sepsis? Why didn't you scan me? And then I went, This happens to lots of women. We're really sorry that you feel this has been a bad experience we're really sorry we're really sorry that you feel like this not we're really sorry that we had to put a balloon up there it's like we're really sorry that you feel a little bit traumatized by the fact that we did that but we do it you know this happens to hundreds of women every day this is complete this is normal you know I don't feel brave enough to ask those questions if the answer is going to be well we're
3: sorry that you feel like that one of the things with other women that I've spoken to is for some women the trauma comes from what actually happened and for other women, it comes from the way that people acted mm. around what happened, that they maybe accept that what happened needed to happen, but they the trauma was from how it was dealt with. And I just wonder for you, kind of where do you think it's coming from for you? I think the trauma's coming from what happened.
2: Um, I'm pissed off about... How it was handled and how things were communicated. But that's, I'm not traumatized by that. I'm just a bit pissed off about it. I mean, all of the trauma and all of the flashbacks don't come from any particular person saying anything or doing anything or making a decision for me. It's just the lying in a green room on my own, wearing a nappy. Actually, I do have one flashback, which is, but not because of anything bad that anyone did. It was just that one of the doctors was someone I went to school with. And I didn't really know I think she'd been sort of looking at my case from afar and then remembered who I remembered the name and thought I'd go you know go and see if it's her and it was me and I said to her I was like will you level with me how bad is this and she was like it's really fucking serious um, cuz everyone else was you, just talking to me in numbers and things that I didn't understand and she explained it in a, 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 she was really calm and really helpful and she was the only person sorry she was the only person that explained it in a way that I understood. Like, But just having her saying, like, you're up shit creek, but we're going to fix it, made... I have that... I think about that memory all the time. And that was... that was helpful. It was, but it was just, like, a, quite a pivotal moment for me. I think someone that I'd... I think because I sort of... I knew her from
3: school... Sorry. That's okay. Do you think there was something about the way that she was because she knew you? Do you think it was like a... I don't know, like a touch of humanity?
2: I think that's exactly it, actually. I mean, she spoke to me like I was a real person.
3: Tell me how you're feeling now.
2: Um, I feel better now. I feel, like, less anxious, but I'm still... I'm still really angry, um about a lot of things. I think I'm, I'm a lot of my anger that I still have is still that I want, you know, the acknowledgement that they've done something wrong and that they've ruined so many things for me. I'm really angry because I'm not gonna get pregnant ever again. You know, it's put me off so much that Daisy will probably be an only child and that's that's never what I wanted.
3: This feels massive and it was sort of the elephant in the room Lottie's experience of having Daisy was so negative, so traumatic, that the thought of another child was just something she couldn't entertain.
2: I didn't... I've always imagined myself having at least two children. Um, They'd be close together in age and they'd play together and, you know, they'd probably fight all the time until they grow up.
3: Is that something that you knew really quickly? Is it a decision that you've kind of come to over time? Is it something that you feel absolutely certain about
2: um I came to that decision both of us came to that decision very very quickly but then everyone's like oh you change you know everyone says that when you've had a baby they'll change you'll change your mind you'll probably change your mind and I just think fuck off to everyone who says that because there's a little bit of me that thinks I'm being really selfish by not giving her a sibling but you know I, I nearly died three times three times from one baby and it's taken us a hell of a lot to get to where we are now and we're really, really grateful. Daisy is absolutely amazing and we kind of think, you know, just count your blessings. I'm trying to make peace with it and I'm really lucky that we just, we, you know, we managed to get through this in one piece.
3: When people say to you, you might change your mind, does, does that feel like a sort of denial or, or minimising the level of trauma that you've been through? It absolutely does,
2: yeah. I feel like it's a bit ridiculous that I want everyone to acknowledge and I want people to keep acknowledging just how awful our time was.
3: Lottie doesn't want reassurance or to be told that she'll feel differently in time. That feels like a denial of how she feels right now. Mm. Have you learnt anything about yourself? I think I'm pretty hardcore now. (laughs)
2: Um, I think I'm really resilient and even though I feel really anxious I look at Daisy and Mikey in our home and the fact that like we laugh all the time we're really happy and we go and do things and we see friends and you know sometimes some days are really really shit and I feel like I'm a really terrible person but then when we have those good days I just think I never thought that I would have these and I'm amazing <laughs> to get to a point where I can have these amazing days and I mean, it's probably, it's more Mikey's work than mine. You know, he's looked after me um, and gone through unspeakable things. Like, I don't, I don't know how he's done it, but the fact that we can do it together, it just makes me feel like we're some kind of, like, we're an unstoppable family and we can do anything now.
1: Thank you to Lottie and to all the other women who spoke to us while we were making this programme. This is our final episode of The Backstory for 2017 and we'll be taking a bit of a break but keep us in your feed because we'll be back in 2018 with Season 2. Before we break up though, we'll be back on Friday in Backstory Backchat where we'll be talking more about Lottie's experiences so let us know your thoughts before then. We are The Backstory Podcast on Facebook and Instagram at The Backstory Pod on Twitter or you can email hello at thebackstorypodcast.co.uk We read everything that comes in and we love hearing your thoughts. If you're heading to parties over the festive season, then look out for our backlash against small talk on our social media. Thanks so much for listening and hopefully you'll hear us on Friday in the back chat. Otherwise, have a great Christmas and see you in 2018. Thanks again to our sponsors Farm Drop. Go and check out their glorious website, farmdrop.com and quote the code BACKSTORY to get 25 pounds off your first 50 pound order and to show your support for
3: this podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus,